Fisher, thank you. You know, I don't reckon they sing songs like that about Buddha. I don't think they probably don't sing songs like that about Muhammad either. They don't sing songs like that at the basketball game or the football field. There's only one crowd that can sing songs like that. Because there's only one crowd that has anybody worth singing about. I guess they could sing about a dead man in a tomb or somebody whose bones are decayed and going back to dust, but only one crowd can sing about somebody who is king of kings and lord of lords, and he's coming back again. I'm glad we got a good song to sing. I enjoyed hearing the Morrison family sing. I told one of them, one of the young ladies, that's exactly how I was going to sing that song if they'd asked me to sing it. But uh, they didn't ask me to sing it, so I'm glad they took care of that. <clears throat> Genesis chapter number 7, please. We'll read some verses from chapter 7 and then chapter number 8. And I want to give you the message God has laid in my heart for tonight. I sure have enjoyed being here this week. This has been good. It's been a, an oasis in a barren land, you know. And it's been good to uh, be with folks who enjoy going to church. And uh, it's been good to be in a place where there's liberty to go to church. And I've enjoyed all the singing, of course, all the preaching. And uh, got a lot of new sermons I'll take and act like I got them myself, you know. I can't wait for that series out of the book of 1st and 2nd Samuel. And uh, <laughs> you'll hear that soon. But anyway, thank you all. Thank you, Preacher Gravely, for having me. I appreciate the opportunity and the privilege. And I was sitting back there thinking, let's not take it for granted. And uh, let's not take it for granted that we're able to do this. But also, don't take it for granted that we're in it right now because one day we might look back on it and say, boy, I remember that meeting. I wish we still had meetings like that. I remember those preachers. I remember that, that group that sang. And You hear some of these other preachers talk about the men that went on before us, and I wish they were here. And I remember when they were here. And let's not take it for granted that you know, we have those that are ahead of us that, that are still here. And uh, when they preach, listen. Amen. And uh, when you can get a chance to ask him a question, ask him a preacher question, not a stupid question. So, amen right there. And uh, God's good to us. Genesis chapter number 7. There's some people here that came out to California a few weeks ago to our conference or our camp meeting out there. And uh, so you're going to get to hear it twice. But without a doubt, I know I prayed and God laid this message on my heart for tonight. I've probably had, I don't know how many people since I've been here ask me, how's your church doing? Are you that church that's been getting fined for going to church? And uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that tonight and uh, give you a little bit of information maybe. But look with me at Genesis chapter 7. You can just stay seated. I want to read thir verse 13 down through the end of the chapter and the first four verses of chapter 8. The Bible says in verse 13, In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. They and every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in went in male and female. I don't know what happened to the other kinds. I don't know where they were at. They went in male and female of all flesh as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was, it was lift up above the earth. And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went up upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man." All in whose nostrils was the breath of life, all that was in the dry land died. 
And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowls of the heaven. And they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth an hundred and fifty days. For a hundred and fifty days, the ark has been sailing on troubled water. It's been beaten by the waves and pushed by the wind and driven by the weather. Everything else has been destroyed. All of their life has been killed. But the ark is sailing on. In chapter number 8, the Bible said in verse number 1, And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained and the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of the 150 days, the waters were abated. Look at this phrase in verse number 4, And the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. Back in the summer, I preached a message at our church, and I didn't know it, but that was the last message I'd preach inside our church building. And that was one of the last services we had inside our church building, even up until right now. They came to us in March and said, if you'll give us two weeks to flatten the curve, if you'll just give us two weeks, we'll take care of this thing. It's been over a year now, and they still don't know what they're doing with this thing. We stayed out of church for about 12 weeks. We did online services. We preached in that big auditorium to just a few preachers in there. be honest with you, that's some of the best services we had, but it was, it was just a handful of people in there. After some time, we thought, you know what, this is just crazy. Let's just go back. So we just went back in our building. One day, I remember uh, being on the property on a Friday, and somebody said, go out there and look at the office door. There's pieces of paper taped to it. And went out there, and I believe that first day there were five pieces of paper taped to the off glass office door of our church offices. And it gave us a list of unlawful activity that our church was guilty of. One of the unlawful activities was singing in church. They said, this, this activity is unlawful. And then it said, gathering indoors, and then it said, this activity is unlawful. And they just gave us all these different things. We continued to go to church. They began to fine us $5,000 every service. So every service, every time we met, it was $5,000. So it was $15,000 per week. That didn't do anything. So then they started charging us $5,000 every day that we existed. Just existed. Not even on the property, but you got fined just for being, just for having church. So we have $50,000 every week just to have church. Then they gave us a lawsuit, had a picture of me in that lawsuit preaching in our pulpit and had Pastor Treber's name on there as the uh, guilty party. And then it listed 50 blank slots for John Doe's. We asked the four county lawyers, what does that mean? And they said, we reserve the right to sue and arrest 50 church members, whoever it is, could be trustees, deacons, or just grandma who sits in the pew. If they go to your church, they're participating in illegal activity and will seize personal assets and take them to jail. They, I remember I had to go to my uh, a friend of ours, a deacon in the church, and said, now listen, if they come in church tomorrow... Would you run to the nursery and get Lincoln, our four-year-old boy, now he's four, so would you get him and just take him to your house? Because the lawyers literally threatened that angle, taking children from people. I remember talking to my wife about that in the hallway of our little house, and my boy was in his room playing, 
And we were talking about these things, the potential of going to jail for being a Christian in America. In our state, they let 80,000 prisoners out of jail. And then they threatened to arrest Christians for going to church. We were talking about that, and my little boy heard it, and he walked out in the hallway, and he was crying. And he said, Daddy, I'm scared. He said, I don't like those people. Now, I don't want him to grow up like that. I don't want him to grow up not liking his government. I want him to love America. But I said, I don't like what they're doing either. And he asked this question. He says, does that mean we're not going to have wiggle worms anymore? That's just that little kid program they do every once in a while. I think it's Wednesday nights they do it for little guys. And I said, it's going to be all right, Lincoln. The church will still be there. The ark has gone through 150 days of storm, tossed on the water, beaten by the waves. The trees have been uprooted. The mountains have been pushed aside. Everything that's breathing air is dead, but not the ark, not those within the ark. The Bible said after the dust settled and the smoke cleared and the storm abated, the ark was sailing on. The ark rested. For a little while in this evening, I want to preach on that thought and try to encourage every preacher and every Christian. Church is going to go on. I want to preach on this thought for a few minutes. It's still there. It's still there. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help me preach, please. I pray you'd help me to give my heart to these people tonight. I pray, you know, I want it to be a good service, but more than being entertaining, I pray you'd help us just to hear from heaven. I pray you'd stir us. Be with the next preacher as well. Get glory for yourself is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you an illustration, then I'll start preaching. On a rainy September 13th in 1814, British warships sent a downpour of shells onto Fort McHenry in Baltimore Harbor, relentlessly pounding the American fort for 25 hours. The bombardment was known as the Battle of Baltimore, and it came only weeks after the British had attacked Washington, D.C., burning the Capitol, the Treasury, and the President's house. A week earlier, Francis Scott Key, a 35-year-old American lawyer, had boarded the flagship of the British fleet in hopes of persuading the British to release his friend who had been arrested. Key's tactics were successful, but because he and his companions had gained knowledge of the impending attack, the British would not let him go. Under their scrutiny, Key watched on September 13th as the barrage of Fort McHenry began about eight miles away. He said, it seemed as though Mother Earth had opened and was vomiting shot and shell and a sheet of fire and brimstone. Throughout the battle, Key was in the harbor and he heard cannon fire and the booms of explosives. When darkness arrived, Key saw only red erupting in the night sky. Given the scale of the attack, he was certain the British would win. The hours passed slowly, but in the clearing smoke of the dawn's early light, he saw the American flag flying over the fort, announcing American victory. Key put his thoughts on paper while he was still on the British ship. The Baltimore Patriot newspaper printed it later, and within weeks, his poem called The Star-Spangled Banner crisscrossed our country. The opening verses of his poem has become our national anthem. It says, Oh, say, can you see? By the dawn's early light, what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight, or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming, and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say it is that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. Thank God tonight for some things that have lasted. Thank God for some things that we can say they're still there. 
Thank God for some things that have not fallen. Thank God for some things that regardless of the onslaught and the attack and the outright opposition of our enemy, they've stood steadfast in the battle. They're still there. Most things in this life are born, they live, and then they die. They're around for various lengths of time. Some flash and then they dissipate. Others will stand for a season, but they fall. Some make a great impact on this world in a moment, and some leave their mark over time. But most things in this life come, and then they go. Politicians come and go. Elected and unelected officials come and go. Pastors come and go. Heads of state come and go. Fashions come and go. Cultures come and go. Technology comes and it goes. Most things will stand for a season, but most things come and then they go. But other things come and they stay. They weather the storm. They ride out the torrents. They stand against changing times. They endure the persecution. They're fixed as the calendar pages turn and as time marches on. Other things come and go, but some things come and stay. And thank God there's some things that are still there. As Francis Key peered from on board that boat in the Chesapeake Bay, it thrilled his heart to see the flag of our country flying over the fort. And that flag flying over the fort signified to his heart that America was still standing and our country was still there. Tonight I want to say our country is something I love dearly. I was raised to love America. I've learned to love America. I've studied our history and it's only made me love America even more. Now tonight, I know I fall into that category generationally that gets so much negativity. I'm a millennial. But I want to go on record and say I'm a millennial that loves my country. I have not bought in to a socialism. I've not bought into liberalism. I'm just going to stick with Americanism and patriotism. That's good enough for me. That's why it kind of bothers me in our state that they're more worried about letting prisoners out of jail and arresting Christians for going to church. That's why it bothers me that they'll let drugs on our street but won't let somebody pray at an old-fashioned altar. That's why it kind of bothers me they'll arrest a preacher for preaching on public property but let a drag queen read to our children at a public school in Oakland, California. They marched through the streets in the summer and they shouted, Death to America and kill the police. You'll not hear that at my church and you won't hear that from my mouth. I don't say death to America. I say long live America. I was listening to an interview today with our president. I don't know if he remembers that he's the president, but he's the president. They were doing an interview with Joe Biden today, and they were asking Joe Biden what they thought about the Major League Baseball players who are wanting to move the All-Star game out of Atlanta to a foreign country, you know, a socialist country, because we're trying to get voter ID passed in Georgia. They're saying that's discriminatory. And the president said, I think they're acting incredibly responsible. If you ask me, that sort of sounds anti-American. That's not where I'm at. That's not where I'm going. And that's not what I'm about. I love my country. I love my state. I love my city. I love my county. Thank God for patriotic people. We serve our community. We pray for our officials. We love our law enforcement. We love our constitution. We love our military. And we love our flag. I believe with 100% of my heart in liberty and justice for 
all. Can I say tonight, our church is more than just a building. It's made up of people. And more than just a people, we are Christian Americans. You come to our church and you find sailors and airmen and marines and soldiers. You find business people. You'll find doctors and lawyers. We have factory men and plant workers and homemakers. And we have folks from a hundred different countries that'll fill our pew. You can reach the world from that one pulpit. And it's amazing. All these different ethnicities and all these different educational levels, yet we're all bound together by two things. Number one is we're saved by the grace of God. But number two is we love America. Now I think tonight we would all vote and say that we're glad when it comes to this country that as of tonight we can say America is still there. America has defied historical precedent. And up to this point, she's endured. You study the great empires of history and all the powerful nations from the past, and you find that most have either vacated the scene or they've diminished in a great fashion. You can say it of Hitler's Germany, it's gone. You can say of Nero's Rome, it's gone. You can say of Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, it is gone. But thank God you can't say that yet about America. As of tonight, we can look at our nation and say she's still there. Are there those trying to destroy America? Yes. Are there groups that want to take down our nation? Yes. Are there frenzied voices calling for our demise? Yes. But in spite of that tonight, thank God, America endures. America is still there. They burn our flag, but America is still there. They revise our history, but America is still there. They tear down our statues, but America is still there. They love the worst nations of the world and hate our own nation, but America is still there. They try to deny our founding principles, yet America America is still there. Tonight, I'm not ashamed to stand up and say that I love America. I don't apologize for it. I don't blush about it. I don't ask your permission to do it. I think this is the greatest nation on the face of earth. God has been good to our country. I love America, and I'm glad she's still there. You say, where's America? America's there in the honest, hardworking employee. America's there in the mother who takes care of her children. Children. America's still there in the young men and women who fight for our freedom. America's still there in the church bells that ring every Sunday, reminding this hellbound world that God is still on his throne. America's there. She's there all across this country as small towns tucked back in hollers off of highways have Fourth of July parades and American flags fly from every house and storefront. America's there. She's there every day in the old-fashioned manners and kind gestures shown by her citizens. That's America. America's there. And I'm glad tonight she is. You say, where's America? America's there in the yellow ribbons wrapped around our trees. America's there in the blue lights that fly a shine on our porches. America's there in the flag pins that hang on our lapel. America's there. America's there in that old man that runs around town doing his errands and proudly displays his veteran's cap. America's there in those children that stand and before they start school say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. One nation under God. America's still there. She's there in the farmer. She's there in the coal miner. She's there in the businessman. She's there in the public servant who do their part to progress our nation. Thank God she's there. America's still there in the preacher. America's there in the policeman. And America's there in the patriot. I'm glad America's still there. America's there in every hand that goes to every heart as we give the pledge to 
to our flag. America's there. And every sincere salute that we give to old glory as she waves, tonight we can say America is still there. Tonight we can say America's still there as we look at each other. Can I say tonight, America is not some elitist political class that would preach to us in their walled estate with their armed guards and try to teach us about morality and take our guns from us. That's not America. You say, where's America? America's still there. She's not in that perverted celebrity class that would cover up the sins of their own people and then try to tell us to save the whale and not shoot Bambi. That's not America. You say, where's America? She's there, not in the media that would spin whole lies and have truths about good people America is not there in the slander reported on the mainstream media. That's not America, but America is there in that family that gets up and goes to work every day. America is there in that husband that loves his wife. America is there in that wife who honors her husband. America is there in those children that obey mom and dad. America is there in those bus kids that ride to church on Sunday. America is there in that family saying amen in a church pew. America is still there in spite of the onslaught she stands, in spite of the opposition she stands in spite of the outright attack I'm glad America still stands I tell you this much I might kneel at an altar but I won't kneel for our anthem I love my nation thank God for America she's there America is not founded on government overreach America is founded on the belief that every individual has equal opportunity and life liberty and the pursuit of happiness America is not founded on shutting down churches but America is founded on that Danbury Baptist principle. There's a separation between the church and the state to keep the state out of the affairs of the church. America has never been about championing the compliance of its citizen. You stand there, wear that mask, pull it up above your nose. No, that's not America. But America champions the freedom of her citizens. That's America. America is not in the ignoring of the Constitution. America is not in the stealing of our liberties. America is not in the canceling of our First Amendment. America America is not in the attack on our second amendment. What is America? I think America is you. I think America is me. I think America is those like Francis Scott Key who wasn't going to rejoice if America fell. But he stood up with pride to see the flag still flying over the fort. And he learned America is still there. Up to this point, America has endured. And as of tonight, we can say, thank God she's still there. Today we can boast in the benefits from sea to shining sea that God has shed his grace on this nation. But though America is there today, we've got no promise she'll be there tomorrow. The Bible said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And America survived and thrived not because of our founding documents, but because of our founding deity. America's blossomed forth not from the seed of liberalism or humanism or socialism, but from the seed of Bible truth that was planted in our nation a long time ago. Our founding is not simply a religious founding. Our founding is a Christian founding. It might trigger someone. It might upset somebody. They might need a safe space, a blanket, and to kiss a kitten. But I'll tell you this, our nation was founded on this King James Bible. We don't just have a religious foundation. We have an undeniably Christian foundation. America America was not founded by soldiers seeking gold, they say. It was founded by pilgrims seeking God. Our monuments testify of it. Our documents testify of it. The Ten Commandments that are displayed above our Supreme Court testify of it. Our money testifies of it. And I'm glad tonight, as of right now, America's still there. But that could change before the sun rises in the morning. 
Here's a big word. There is no perpetuity promised to our nation. The Bible said sin is a reproach to any people. And a nation that thumbs its nose toward God is not far from judgment. It's happened to every other nation in history. And you better believe it can happen to us. And I don't say that happily, but I say that with a broken heart. I'm trying to raise a family in this generation. I'm trying to serve God in this generation. I don't want to see America fall. But can I say we're getting closer to hell by the hour. And sooner or later, God's clock is going to strike 12. And the judgment of God will fall if it's not already falling upon our country. Can you imagine a moment when your children or mine might have to say of America, where is she they won't be able to say she's still there they'll ask where is America you can see it in the eroding of our culture blurring gender lines the popular thing is to hate your heritage that's why it's so dangerous with the drift in our churches one of these days we might have to say where is it in Genesis chapter 6 through 8 we find the record of a wicked generation a righteous God, and a man named Noah who found grace. This story illustrates the truth I've been trying to drive home the first half of this message. We find something that inspired the trial, the trouble, and the torrents. It sailed safely through, and after the storm was gone, thank God, it was still there. Noah lived in a wicked day. He lived in a dark hour. Men weren't striving to live holy. They were sliding into wickedness. Noah's generation didn't want revival. Noah's generation didn't want worship. Noah's generation didn't want God. They dethroned God in their heart, and man had gone to the devil. If you read chapter 6, you find what happens after generation and generation of continual sinful living the Bible tells us God saw the wickedness of man that it was great upon the earth and it grieved him at his heart as God looked down upon this world he saw nothing but wickedness he saw the sin he saw the debauchery of man and it broke his heart can I say that's exactly what sin does to a holy God my sin and your sin in verse number seven of chapter six God makes the decision he said I'll destroy man from off the face of this earth God looks down and declares I'm going to remind this world that without variation. I'm a holy, righteous and just God and I will judge sin. But thank God for verse number 8 of chapter 6. That's a great verse in the Bible. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord as God was scanning the scene of humanity. He found not everybody had compromised. Not everybody had gone the wrong direction. Not everybody was wrapped in wickedness. There was a lone lighthouse still standing on the shoreline of humanity. He looked down and saw Noah and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God comes to Noah and he said, Noah, I'm going to destroy this thing. I'm going to end this world. I'm going to send a flood, but I'm going to save you and your family alive if you'll follow my instruction. He goes to Noah and says, Noah, I want you to build a boat. He gives Noah the plans. He gives Noah the procedure. He gives Noah the go and build an ark. It'll save you and your family and two kind of every animal alive. Now you go forward in the story and you find that God does exactly what he said he would do. By the way, God always does exactly what he said he's going to do. God sends the flood. The earth opens up. The fountains of the deep begin to erode. The rain comes down from the heavens and all of a sudden the earth becomes covered with that blanket of water. The wind begins to blow. The waves begin to rock and there it is. Every man, every woman, every young person, everything 
thing not in that ark perishes in the flood for 150 days that ark floats on unfriendly waters for 150 days that ark is covered with death on every side the waves are rolling the wind is blowing the debris is smashing into the wooden sides of that giant ship but it kept sailing on can you imagine that scene for so many years over a century Noah's building that ark Noah's gathering the wood Noah's getting the pitch Noah's putting in the effort blood sweat and tears no doubt he's mocked no doubt he's made fun of no doubt he even got discouraged nobody ever said Noah we appreciate what you're doing but one day the flood came one day the water fell one day the water rose up the day came Noah and his family entered into the ark animals from all sides made their way and joined them the scoffers kept scoffing the mockers kept mocking the doubters kept doubting the press probably gave Noah bad coverage the story circulated all over the town but suddenly that water level rose that water level came rushing up and judgment came now can you see that ark as it rises upon the water it's tossed to and fro like a ball upon that raging sea it's driven without direction it's beaten by uprooted trees it's smashed by a wrecked society dead bodies are floating all over the place you say who is that those are those that mock the man of God and refuse to get right with God can you see it the dark clouds fill the sky strong winds are blowing but the ark is sailing on the waves rock but the ark is still sailing the wind is blowing but the ark is still sailing death is on all sides but the ark is still sailing the scoffers are gone but the ark is still there the doubters are gone but the ark is still there the critics are gone but the ark is still there in spite of the storm it's still there in spite of the thunder it's still there in spite of the lightning it's still there in spite of the mockers it's still there God had planned the ark God had provided the means for the ark and then God got in that ark and he saw Noah through the storm no doubt if a reporter could have been there especially one from our area we have nine counties, I think, that make up the Bay Area. Our county has fined over five or $4.9 million in fines. Every other county combined has only gotten to 80000 You got to, you know, welcome to uh, Santa Clara County. Hail Saracote, our health inspector. If they had let one of those reporters be there, they'd have been so excited to write about how that article was about to sink. Oh, I can see them getting out their pen or getting out their keyboard. They couldn't wait. They were watching that ark getting tossed in that water. It was negative. It was bad. It was bleak. Noah was in the crazy minority. Every time that ark was lost behind a wave, they'd want to publish, the ark is gone. Every time it was twisting and turning with the tide, they'd want to write the story, there goes the ark. Every time the lightning flashed, they'd say, there goes the ark. It's sinking to rise no more. But can I say, it sailed on. Maybe some of those doubters and scoffers as they bobbed up and down in the water with their final breath looked on in amazement and said how can it be the ark is still there what they discovered is every wave that brought it down was followed by another wave that brought it back up every time the lightning flashed it highlighted the fact it sailed on every time the thunder rolled it was a testimony that God would see his children through and then finally after so many months of storm after so many months of stress after so many months of sailing the Bible Bible says in verse 4 of chapter 8, the ark rested. You say, what happened? Noah got in business with God. God got in business with Noah. 
And Noah found out that when you get in business with God, you can sail on through the torrent. You can sail on through the trouble. You can sail on through the trial. And when the smoke clears and the dust settles and the storm subsides, you'll still be there. I'm glad there's some things tonight that the floods of time and the waves of wickedness cannot take down. They can bludgeon, they can beat, they can batter. But there's some things that sail on. They sail on when the waves crash high. They sail on when the winds blow strong. They sail on when the world's falling apart. Now, I love my country, but there is no perpetuity promised to my country. There might be a day when I have to say about America, she's no longer there. But I want to, I want to report to every heart tonight that as much as I'm glad to be an American, I'm that much more glad to be an old-fashioned, born-again, blood-washed child of God. And while my nation might fall, I've got a promise of something else that's going to march on. There are some things that just last. There are some things that just stay. There are some things that just make it through the torrent. There are some things that just persevere. There are some things that just endure. There are some things that just live on. There are some things that you can't sink. There are some things that just keep going in spite of opposition. I want to introduce you to something tonight that has perpetuity. I want to introduce you to something tonight that's going to live on. I want to introduce you to something tonight that'll sail through the storm. I want to introduce you to something tonight that can't be sunk. I want to introduce you tonight to something that the devil can't take down. I want to introduce you to something tonight that can't be barred. I want to introduce you to something tonight that can't be caged in. I want to introduce you to something tonight that's going to still be there. My Bible tells me in Matthew 16 and verse 18 that thou art Peter and upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Long before there was a constitution, we had a church. Long before I had a country, thank God there was a church. Long before there was a founding document, there was a God on the throne of heaven. And while the church, while the, the constitution is a wonderful document, the church is a living organism. And thank God, the Bible says, the gates of hell, the opposition of hell, the advent of hell, it'll never prevail against the church. God got his art through the flood and God's going to get his church through this age. The road might get rocky. The sea might get rough. The winds might blow strong, but the church is sailing on. God got his art through the storm. God's going to get us through this age. Thank God I'm glad I got in business with God. I'm glad God got in business with me. I'm glad I got that promise of perpetuity. No matter what comes, no matter what shows up, no matter what's on the horizon, I got a promise in my Bible the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. The church is more precious than a jewel. It's more powerful than an army. It's more pure than a pearl. God planned it. Jesus purchased it. And the Holy Ghost empowers it. And thank God we get to be part of it. It's more than steeples. It's more than stained glass. It's more than a sanctuary. This is God's husbandry. This is God's habitation. This is the pillar and ground of the truth. This is the body of Christ. This is a living organism. A licensed ambassador. And a light in a dark world. There might be a day... I'm going to have to save America. Where'd she go? But I'll never have to say to the church, where'd she go? Because it'll still be there. Let the attacks come. Let the bombs fall. Let the devil fight. Let hell march. But the church is going to sail on. You study in the book of Acts. Christians were murdered. Christians were imprisoned. Christians were hated. Christians were maligned. Christians were threatened. Christians were impoverished. But the church marched on. You know what the devil found out? You can kill Paul. But 
but you can't kill the church. You can crucify Peter, but you won't kill the church. You can exile John, but you can't kill the church. You can stone Stephen, but you won't kill the church. You can imprison Bunyan, but you won't kill the church. You can whip Obadiah Holmes, but you won't kill the church. You can strangle William Tyndale, but you won't kill the church. You can burn the Bible, but you won't kill the church. The church is sailing on. In spite of opposition, she sails. In spite of attacks, she sails. In spite of the onslaught, she sails. In spite of persecution, she sails. It's still there. The church is sailing on. I'm glad tonight I'm not a fugitive running from something. I'm a pilgrim headed for something. And I'm glad the devil can fight and all hell can raise up. But the church is sailing on. The water rolls, the waves bludgeon, the wind blows, but the old ship of Zion still sails today. You read your Bible and you find out Goliath is dead and David's still there. The lions are full and Daniel's still there. The fire is still burning and the Hebrew children are still there. The jail cell's empty and Paul's still there. Judgment came on this world and Noah is still there. I can see Francis Scott Key while he's on board that boat. Man, his heart must have swollen up with pride, patriotism, as he saw the stars and stripes flying over that, uh, that, that embattled fortress, and it spoke to his heart. Thank God, it's still there. Can I say far better, far better than having a country, and I'm glad for it. I'm glad I got a church. I'm glad, thank God, for our country. It was birthed by the Bible. It's been guided by the hand of God. It's been blessed by His mercy and grace, but I got something better than that the house of God, the church of God. This is the assembly of the saints, the body of Christ, the congregation of the redeemed, the dove of our beloved, the eternal priesthood, a family of God. We've been grafted in to the household of faith. We're peculiar people. We're a, a royal priesthood, a sanctified possession, a blood-washed band. Thank God we're the bride and he's our groom. We're the branch and he's our vine. We're the building and he's the cornerstone. We're the fruit of faith. We're the product of grace. We're the recipient of his mercy, the object of his love, and the inheritor of glory. You can't beat the church. You can try to lock us out. You can try to shut us down. But whether it's a dungeon, whether it's a cave, whether it's a hillside, the church has got to march on. Christ is our founder. The Bible is our guide. The Holy Ghost is our supplier. Heaven is our destiny. And the banner over us is his love. The gospel is our message. Victory is our promise. Our weapons are spiritual. And our power is supernatural. And let every imp, demon, and devil from hell rise up and fight but the church is going to sail on nothing's more essential nothing's more essential to a community than a local church it's more essential than the bar room the baseball field Walmart and any civic building they can erect I want to ask you where you'd be right now if it weren't for the church I know you probably got born saved, but I didn't. I didn't get saved until I was 21 years old. I'd have been in hell and should have been in hell, but for the grace of God. There's hardly anything you can preach on that I haven't experienced or seen in the world before I got born again. I didn't find what I needed at a ball field. And I didn't get what I wanted at Walmart. And I didn't find what I was looking for at some civic building. But I'm glad for that day I walked into a little tiny country church in the hills of West Virginia. And an old-fashioned man of God preached from a King James Bible. And the Holy Ghost of God convicted me of my sin. I'm glad I got part. I'm glad I got birth. I'm glad I got put in the family of God. I'm glad I've got a church. It's the church that gives hope to the hopeless. It's the church that loves the unlovable. It's the church that cares for those nobody cares about. 
about. It's the church that mends broken hearts. It's the church that encourages the saints of God. It's the church that restores the prodigal. It's the church that preserves the nation. There's nothing like a church. I love the church. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your income. It doesn't matter your last name. It doesn't matter your skin color. It doesn't matter what school you went to. If you get born again, it's brother and sister around here. Thank God for the house of God. The church is essential. Right here's where eternity gets changed. Right here's where marriages get strengthened. Right here's where souls get born again. There's no place like this place. I thank God for every humanitarian organization. Thank God for goodwill and Salvation Army, I reckon, and Bass Pro Shop. I like all of them. But you could take all those and pile them together. And they could not even touch the hem of the garment of the good produced on one Sunday from a church that preaches the Bible. A stimulus check, a rent relief, a block of cheese and a cell phone might keep a man going a day. But the gospel and the love of Christ will keep him for all eternity. You say, why are you so confident about your church? Because it's God's thing, not my thing. And you wonder why I'm so confident about it? Because Jesus purchased it with his blood. God got his people through the wilderness with the blood. God got his son through Calvary by the blood. And God's going to get his church through this age by the blood. We might sail through a dungeon. We might sail through a catacomb. We might sail through a bloody arena. We might sail through a burning furnace, but mark her down, we're going to sail on. We might sail through a low valley. We might have to sail over high mountains. We might sail through much opposition. We might have to sail through a corrupt government, but we're going to sail on. That's why, that's why if I was a young man, I don't think I'd sit on the sideline if God was dealing with my heart about preaching. I think I'd enlist tonight. I think I'd sign up to serve him tonight. I think I'd get in on this thing tonight. I think I'd go ahead and get on the winning side of things and start serving him. Hey, start promoting the ark. Hey, it's going to sail on. Thank God it's still there. Roman persecution is coming and gone. It's still there. The oppressive colonizers have come and gone. It's still there. Every anti-God and anti-Christ and anti-Bible leader has come and gone, but the church is still there. I like that phrase, shall not. Shall not. It's not a whimsical hope. It's not rubbing a rabbit foot or biting your nails to the quick. It's a matter of declaration devil ain't going to beat the church. Jesus didn't promise the church wouldn't have opposition. But he did promise opposition won't overcome it. Hell can't close us down. Devil can't stop our progress. You let the smoke clear. Let the fog lift. Let the storm subside. Everything else might be gone. You might have to meet in somebody's basement. In China they meet in hiding. We might have crowds of five instead of 500. But I guarantee until Jesus comes, there's going to be a body of believers somewhere meeting together in heaven church. The old ship of Zion is still sailing today, gathering pilgrims along life's way. She's landed her millions and still landed more, the saints of all ages, to some fairer shore. You know that song y'all sing, I'm riding the old ship of Zion. So many before me wrote it safely or Jesus the captain has lost no, not one. So I'll ride this ship to the shore. My little boy said, Daddy, I'm scared. Are we still going to be able to have wiggle worms? Oh, yeah. Till Jesus comes, we'll have church of some kind somewhere. So I want to encourage you men tonight, you pastors, you preachers, whatever comes, whatever shows up on the horizon, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. It's still there. 
Let's bow our heads tonight. I'm going to have a word of prayer. If you want to come pray, you can. Brother Waters will sing a song here in just a minute. You got to come pray for our nation. We're in trouble in our nation. But can I say God's still on the throne? You say, you know what, preacher? I'm discouraged. We've lost a lot of people in our church. That's okay. There's going to be a church till Jesus comes. You just keep preaching. You keep serving. You keep standing. Jesus is coming, but until he does, there's going to be a church somewhere. Might, be, might as well be your place. Just keep preaching. I'm going to pray. Some of you young men say, God's going to be about preaching. Sign up. It's the best thing in the world. Nothing like it. you got to sign up tonight. Lord, I pray you'd bless this.